we talked about, you know, don't forget where you came from. Uh, there's there's a, a past, a former life that, that every one of us who is a follower of Jesus has. And uh, you can get to the place where you forget where you came from and it, it causes you to take for granted what you have. If you forget what it was like to be bound, do you forget the joy of what freedom is? If you forget what, um, what uh, it was like to be uh, in a state of hopelessness, do you forget uh, uh, the joy of it is that you have hope? If you forget what it's like to live under condemnation and guilt, then uh, you, you don't get a chance to just uh, uh, celebrate the fact you wake up and His mercy is new every morning. That there's no baggage, there's no dead weight from yesterday's sins. There's none of that stuff that has to be on you for those who are in Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, that's the greatest news. Is the fact that everything, every mess up we've done in our lives, He's forgiven. And He gives you a chance to live and have a chance to do, a, a do-over in life. To, to live life the way it was meant to be in relationship with Him. Just living forgiven. Living with that, that, um, that purpose and that relationship. That emptiness on the inside. That void you try and fill with everything. It gets filled with Him. And it's a, is, it, is it a perfect and, you know, bump-free life? No, but you got Him through it. And it's, uh, it, it's just uh, incredible. And I encourage you this morning, too, uh, if, you, if, you don't know, um, if you don't know Jesus Christ, He's reaching for you this morning. And uh, if you just ask him, God, would you show, show me if this guy, what he's saying is real? Would you show it to me? Believe me, he will this morning. You'll know it. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse, um, verse 11, we were reading last week. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens uh, by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. It just talks about this. This is what it was like for you. uh, You were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises that God had made. There was a will, but you weren't in it. And you didn't even know once he remade the will, you didn't even know there was one, that inheritance that was yours. You said you didn't even know about it. You lived in a world without God and without hope. Do you remember that? You lived without, without hope is what he was saying to them. He says, but now, I love that word, because now everything's different. That used to be you, but now it's different. Do you have a but now in your life? Can you say, you know what, yeah, I used to be like this, but now, you know what, now I know who I am uh, in Christ. Now I know uh, what this life in Christ uh, is, is, is about and the joy that I have, it's different. It says, but now you're united with Christ. There's, there's this connection where, you know, we talked about last week that God's not far away. Uh, you know, it's like the mirror on your car that says objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Same thing. This morning, you might, if, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can never get far away from him because he lives in you. You can't, I mean, if you're there, he's there. You can't get far away. There's the feelings of it, but it's a matter of perception. He's right there. You're just one, you're just one step away from him. It's that idea of just be, again, just tuning in that frequency and, and allowing God to speak to you. He says, um, he says this, once you were far away, but now you are um, united with Christ. Uh, and once you're far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Incredible sacrifice has brought us to uh, this place. We're forgiven. We're free. We're part of his family, his one big family. And we're an heir of the inheritance that he has for his family. I'm just, I want to talk this morning about one big family. One big happy family. How many of you uh, are part of a family that does not fit that uh, description? No hands. I love it. Oh, sweet. So you get what I'm talking about. You know that thing where everyone gets along and everyone loves each other? And it's like that show from back in the day. This is the story of a lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. Do you know that one? Yeah? And then there was the guy, right? His name was Brady. Brady had three sons. 
I know I'm dating myself. I, I, used to, I was homeschooled, but I watched Brady Bunch. I learned some good stuff. But, but there was this line in the, in the story of the Brady Bunch that goes like this. It says that um, till the one day when the lady met this fellow, and they knew that it was much more than a hunch, that this group would somehow form a family. That's how they became the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch, the Brady Bunch. That's the way we all became Brady Bunch, right. So if you change that um, to, yeah, sweet, thanks. Uh, I learned something in homeschool. So uh, say if we, if we turn something into um, uh, this, the words of this song, into this is, this is kind of God's idea of church, is that somehow this group of people would become a family. Uh, you know, I, I, it sounds great when you think about the Brady Bunch. You watch them and like, oh, that was fun. Yeah, that, they, they kind of, they, they worked, you know. They all look around the squares and they all smile at one another and like, it's great. And then you go and you meet families who've tried to do this. You go meet families who had three kids and two kids, mix them together. And as I was a youth pastor, I was youth pastoring some of these kids. And those teenagers hated each other. They hated the, 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 the people that, you know, their parents had forced them to live with. Guess who else they hated? They hated that, you know, Brady, you know, that, that guy. Not my dad, you know. No, no love for them at all. You know, the, the, the cute girl raising three girls, whatever, that mom. That wasn't mom. There's this hatred, that's, this big hate on for these other people that were forced into this thing, and now we're supposed to be a family. That's more like the normal uh, thing when you look at it. You know, it's nice on TV, but it's not reality. God's idea, too, for the church is that this would become one big happy family, but a lot of times that's not reality. A lot of times it's like, you know, his design was that it would be this group of people who um, were unified and loved one another, and yet there's real people in that group. And sometimes that becomes a little bit difficult. And so Paul was dealing with it back then already in the Ephesian church, and he sees this. He's talking to them about, hey, reminding them where they came from. But the reason he, uh, he's talking about them is this. It says in verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us, it says, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its reg- um, commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by, by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. See, back then, they had this this um, issue in their, in their church that Paul was writing to the Ephesian church about. And then in the New King James, uh, the, the actual words that he writes about says that Jesus broke down this middle wall of separation that was between us. Um, the middle wall that he was talking about, when he talked to, to the uh, group about it, they would have understood what the term that he was talking about. The middle group of separation was a term, um, was an actual uh, wall that they, would, that they knew of, and it was in the, in the temple uh, in Israel. We've got a picture here. I'll show you. This is how they used to do worship. Um, in, the, in the temple, back in the day, can I use this? Just not tall enough. This spot right here, um, that was the spot where, like, the holy place. That's where one guy went once a year, the priest, once a year into the presence of God. That's the only time people experienced the presence of God was that one guy one time. And if he had sinned too much that week, bam, God would strike him dead. So they'd tie a rope around his ankle, send him in, you know, had bells around his, his, uh, his you know, pant cuffs or whatever while he's in there. And if the bell stopped ringing... Pull him out and get a new priest because uh, he didn't make it. So that was kind of the, the holy place. And then, you know, just inside this door right here was the, was the, um, the well, the holy place. That other place was called the holy of holies, the holiest place. So then there's the, the holy place where priests would um, be doing the stuff of the service. They'd be anoint, um, 
putting the incense burning and all that kind of stuff, doing the, doing the songs and whatever else. And then just outside there through these big doors in this area right here is where there was the courtyard of the priests uh, where they would, you know, they would do um, uh, some of the stuff with the congregation. And that's where the men hung out because uh, they were, you know, there was the courtyard of men. Then there was this big spot right here. This was the courtyard of women. Uh, that's where they all got to hang out and kind of see what was going on. And, and as you can see, they would come to the temple from both sides and see this wall right here? This wall on both sides was called the middle wall of separation. If you were Jewish, you could go in here and into the temple as far as you were allowed to go. But if you were Gentile, you had to stay on the outside of each of these sets of walls. Not allowed to go in. That wall was about five feet tall. It was made of marble, so you could look over it and you could see what was going on, but you couldn't go in. You couldn't be a part of it. And Paul's writing about this middle wall of separation because he's talking to the Jews and Gentiles and saying, listen, you guys understand this wall that I'm talking about. On the wall, there was signs all the way around that said something like this, no man of another nation is to enter. Whosoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death. Yeah, you were Gentile. Any Gentiles here? That means you're not Jewish. Yeah, so if you walked into, you were done. I mean, you were paying with your life. It was this serious to them. And so Paul's writing to the believers in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. He's writing to the Jewish believers and the, the Gentile believers. Uh, and he says, hey, listen, you guys know about this, um, this wall. But the reason he's writing to them, this wall was still there when he wrote to them. He wasn't writing that Jesus broke down this particular middle wall of separation. It's just saying that middle wall of separation wasn't just in the temple. It had gotten into their hearts. That wall was in their lives. And he's saying, I want to talk about what's going on in your lives. There was some major hostility between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And the, they didn't do each other any favors. The Jews, um, they made it so known that they were God's holy people. So when they would, you know, when they would, if they ever had to leave Israel and leave the Holy Land, if they were to come back and there's a place called Samaria, that's where the outcasts, you know, of the Jewish culture lived. They were the ones who intermarried and whatever. But if they had come through that place, they wouldn't talk to anybody there. They wouldn't go through that if possible. It would be like Cayuga. Um, you know, if you, no, 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 not like Cayuga that way. Um, but just, just in sense of um, directions here. So if you were coming from Cambro on the far side and coming through and you were coming to church today, you would and realize, oh, I got to go through Cayuga. Oh, I'm not doing that. You know, there's a lot enough daylight. There's enough daylight. I'm going to Hagersville first and then I'm going to come around and that way I don't have to go anywhere near Cayuga. That's the way they would think about Samaria. It was a massive area and they'd go all the way around. If there wasn't enough time, they would skip through as fast as they could. And when they got to the end of Samaria, to the borderline, they would step into, they would take their shoes off, step over onto the Holy Land and shake all the dust off, all the Gentile dust, right into the town of Samaria, wherever they, wherever they were leaving. And these Samaritans knew it. They knew that there was no um, um, relationship or talking between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, and so they would, this was this, this idea of this relationship uh, and the hostility there was very clear to them. And then Paul, if it wasn't so clear, he reminded them in the first few verses of the, what we read this morning. He reminded the uh, Gentile people, hey, you know what the Jews used to call you? <laughs> they used to call you, you know, the uncircumcised heathens. And you're like, oh, you know, that's a real diss. But it, it actually back in their day would have been one of the worst ethnic slurs you could, you could use. You know, we, um, I went on a fishing trip and they were talking about all these things they used to call people and we started looking it up after like, what do these words even mean? Like calling people wops and frogs and, and, what, and then a whole bunch of other really bad ones. But you know, the, 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 those fishing trips, don't go on those. Um, but the, uh, you know, the wops, you know, after you look it up, it's like without papers. Well, there's nobody without papers anymore, you know. It's this idea of, oh, they're coming to take our jobs. And frogs, you know, anybody know who the frogs are? 
French people. Yeah, that's what I thought too, until we looked it up. Guess what? The Brits, sorry Roger and Greg, but sorry, your, your guys did this, but they, um, they actually called the Dutch people. The fro- I know, because they were like, the Dutch people were their greatest enemies before the 19th century. And they said, you guys are the frogs because you're marsh dwellers. That's where the frogs came from. But then the Dutch got too much into flowers and windmills and were all peaceful. So then Britain didn't have a problem with them anymore. And then all of a sudden it was the French people. Like, oh, now they're the frogs. And like, well, they don't, they're not marsh dwellers. Well, they eat frogs' legs, so they're frogs. And this, this idea, and it's dumb, right? Just totally dumb. But this, this idea of calling, um, name calling, well, we went through the list, and there's like hundreds and hundreds of different slurs, which I won't, for the sake of uh, the recording, I won't mention them today. Um, but here's this, this thought. But back then, it was going on then too. And it was the worst of the worst that you could call people because it wasn't just a physical thing for them. They were basically saying, oh, those people, they still have the, the, the filth of the flesh on them. They're, they're just disgusting. And it was this, this thing of, we don't even associate with them. We don't talk to them. We don't, unless we absolutely have to, we don't. And you think, man, it's kind of crazy. But God's design was never that, you know, the separation of the Jewish people was never this design that they would be this thing where they would become proud of it and hate other people. The design to separate the Jews and circumcision and all of this stuff, the laws and the rules and the walls and all that that God designed was for this idea that these people would stay connected to him. That they wouldn't just intermarry with every other thing and lose this connection with God because he wanted to show the world that the, the relationship that God can have with men and he already had a plan since the time began that he was going to rescue the world through the Jewish people, through this, uh, this nation of Israel. Well, if his whole plan was, I'm going to rescue you um, through this one group and yet they cut off everyone else. So this idea of now how are we going to reach people, it, it was this, that all had been changed. This wall of separation had been built. If people were going to get saved, if people were going to follow the God of Israel, it was going to have to be in spite of the Jewish people. Sometimes that happens with us. Jesus has broke down the walls uh, in, in church and in relationships already. Our job's not to build them up, but sometimes unintentionally, we build up walls, even as a church. We don't even realize we're doing it. And what, it ma- what matters is that sometimes we build walls that people who don't know the Lord, they would have to get saved in spite of the stuff that we're doing. Our goal, our mission is to reach the world with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And yet, if the enemy can cause us to become ineffective by building walls uh, in and amongst ourselves, it also affects those who might be coming to know the Lord. So this group, this, this area for the Gentiles where they were um, hanging out uh, at the temple, it was, it was this idea that they could look in and see, that there was a chance that they could become worshipers, and many people did, but it was, it was that um, being in spite of uh, this, these walls of separation— uh, and the Jewish guys, they would take advantage of all the Gentiles coming and they would sell them this ridiculously high-priced, you know, sacrifices. And that's why when Jesus came, he's like, listen, he turned over all the money changers in the temple. That's where it was happening, was that outside court. That's where he got, you know, all upset. Uh, and he said this, this house was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. He said the prophets had said that this wasn't supposed to just be your Jewish temple. This was supposed to be the thing that was going to help people to, to realize that God still cares about this world, for God still loved the world. Uh, and so he had designed it like that, and they became so proud of a law and proud of their rituals and proud of who they were that they were so, so impressive that they pushed everyone else away. Not just with the wall built, but the walls in the heart. And Paul's saying to him, that's what, that's what I'm talking to you about today. There's this separation, and it's destroying it's destroying what God had designed between, between Jews and Gentiles. Sin brought separation. Where did separation come from? Originally, that's where it came from. Sin, in the garden, it brought separation from God. 
in the Tower of Babel where they said, we're not going to obey God. We're, we're not going to go into all the world. We're just going to stay right here in this one place. We're going to build this temple to us, to us, so we all hang out here, and we never go and get too far away. And he's like, that's not going to happen. Changed all their voices. Separation happened there. It still happens today. Do you realize that there's separation happening in relationships all, all, all the time today because of sin? The great news is that the separation thing that we had with God because of sin, Jesus took care of. That's not something that is ever, ever in jeopardy for those who believe in Jesus Christ. You know, it's not like, you know, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, he forgives me. This is phenomenal. Thank you, God, for that. And then you screw up, and he's like, oh, cutting that off. I'm not talking to you no more until you get your acts together. Then you can come groveling at my feet, begging with your prayers, and then maybe I'll listen to you. I can't hear you. Nothing like that. You know, it's been set because of what Jesus did, not because of what we've done. So faith in Jesus Christ keeps a relationship with God open. That's why he's not far away. It's not this idea of I've got to do, do, do to get to, get to God. I've got to get good so I can get God. Just keep looking to Jesus and he'll deal with the rest of the stuff in your life. The thing where separation happens is in every other relationship of our life. People say, well, if, if God forgives all my sins, then pff, I might as well sin. Why, who cares? Uh, he doesn't ever give that option because he says this that, you know, the relationships on the horizontal level all get affected. You know, you cheat on your wife, God's going to forgive you. That relationship with him, it's not dependent on that because Jesus already paid for that sin. But your wife's not going to, you know, be all okay with that. She's not maybe going to forgive you for that. And that relationship's going to be separated. You know, you go to the bank and you put in, you know, a blank envelope and then withdraw, you know, 50 bucks and they find out the next day. God will forgive you for that, but the bank won't. You know, your friends, you can lie to them. Yeah, I'm coming to the party and then go to someone else's party and hang out there. And then they're like, oh, you know what? God's going to forgive you for that, but your friends might not. And all of a sudden the relationships, this separation that sin just keeps bringing, happens in relationships and families all the time. There's separation everywhere. Look at high school. Anybody watch the movie Mean Girls? I've heard there's such a movie. Um, but in, in, the, in the movie uh, Mean Girls, there's, there's a spot where they take them around and they like show this diagram of the cafeteria the, to the new girl. Hey, you know, if you're going to come to this school, just be careful where you sit because this spot is a freshman. Then there's the preps, then there's the jocks, there's the nerds, there's the cool nerds, there's the cheerleaders, there's the plastics, the meanest girls, and there's the coolest, there's us. You know, you can sit with us. And this idea that that still happens in high schools all the time. There's a separation of, you know, who's who and, uh, and who's not. Um, racism still extremely um, uh, 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 active in North America. You think after all the wars fought, after all the amazing men who stood up and some gave their lives for freedom uh, uh, against racism, it's still in hearts uh, all over the place. There's this, um, you know, there's, there's the ethnic slurs that you hear. There's anger towards people groups. Oh, they're coming in to take all of our jobs. Ugh. Oh, they're just going to fill this whole place with smoke shacks. Ugh. There's no room for any of that in the body of Christ at all, period. And he's trying to say that to them. He say, oh, you know, I'm not Jew or Gentile. He says, it's bigger than that. It's against any thoughts of any sort of racist thing towards any people group, period. Period. House divided can't stand. If the enemy can get in and begin to sow those seeds, it'll affect us. And you say, well, I would never say it. I know, but would you buy gas at a different place just because? Would you, when you see somebody uh, at your school who's an outsider and walk past them? He says it affects us in a way that you don't have to say anything for it to be uh, there in our lives. And he says, you know what, as, a, as, a, as the church of God, as a family, for those in Christ, it shouldn't exist. 
It should not be there. He says, this is what I came to change. This is what Jesus took down in his sacrifice on the cross. Big, big price for it. The self-seeking part of us, that self-seeking part of us also brings separation in our lives. It's where we begin to not, we don't know who we are in Christ, so we don't know really who we are, so we have to try and figure out, well, who am I? So we look to the right, and we look to the left, and we're like, well, I'm not quite as good as that guy but I'm way better than that guy. You know, I'll just keep looking over there and I feel better about myself. And this comparison, it happens, and it's a trap. There's, uh, Andy Stanley says it this way, there's no win in comparison. Um, there's, there's this thought where the Bible talks in 2 Corinthians, it says people who compare themselves among themselves, they're not wise. He says God's not looking at the outward appearance, he's looking at the heart. It keeps coming back to this idea of the heart. What's in our heart? Because what's in there matters. So this middle wall of separation he's talking about in their heart was this thing of the Jewish law. He says that Jesus abolished the law. In other spots it says he didn't come to abolish the law. You're like, well, what does that mean? He fulfilled the law. He lived the law for those who would, you know, just to realize for those who couldn't and said, listen, you know, the answer is believing in Jesus Christ and you'll be, you'll be um, saved. You'll be born again. And then for those who are the Gentiles who are far away, who didn't have the law, he says, there's no law for you either. He says, just believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So he gave the same message to both groups so that he can make one family. And Paul is writing about this, but Paul would be pretty, pretty, uh, po- you know, possibly amped up about this topic. Because in Acts, if you read through Acts, the end of Acts, Acts chapter 21 is the story. You can read it later. Paul had been um, walking uh, in Jerusalem, and he got arrested. And they, they made up these charges against him that said, hey, Paul was in the holy city, and he had this Ephesian with him uh, from, you know, there's one of these churches. His name was Trophimus, and he says, you know, he was showing him around the city, and, he, and we, he must have taken him into the temple. He must have taken him past that middle wall of separation. Well, there's no proof that Paul ever did take this man past, but that didn't matter for them. They just amped up those charges and decided we're going we're gonna to hold them to it. We're going we're gonna to charge them with that. And the jury was, you know, rigged and whatever. And Paul is convicted of this crime that he didn't necessarily commit. And he's put in jail. And guess what? He spent the rest of his life in jail for a crime that not necessarily did he commit based on this middle wall of separation. If I was Paul, just being honest, if I'm Paul and I end up in jail for a crime that I didn't commit, and I'm now I'm going to write to people, the Ephesians, you know, my friends, these people who I've come to know, I'd be telling them, listen, forget the Jews. Those bunch of lion snakes and punks, you know, they put me here for this middle wall of separation. You know what? Jesus has come to you guys. It's all about you now. Just go and live and enjoy the freedom. But see, the, the, the gospel's working in Paul already, saying that, you know what? Forgiveness, this is what I came to break down. I hate the middle wall of separation because it put me in jail, but I hate it more because it's dividing the church. These ideas of these things being built back up in lives is dividing what Jesus came and gave his life to change. So he said, you know what? Think about this, guys. The middle wall of separation is already torn down in Jesus Christ. It says this, number one, uh, Jesus tore down the walls. Number two, it says he made one family. Jesus broke down more than just one wall of separation. You know, when he died, it says the veil in the temple was torn. That place between the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was there for one man now became available to the world. He tore that wall down. You know, you, you look at the life of Jesus and you see, see what he's done. It's, it's pretty incredible. In Galatians 3 verse 28, it says this. There's no longer, it's not just Jew and Gentile, but it says this. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female in Jesus Christ. He says, listen, there's no divisions, period. He says, this is level ground around the cross. There's not this hierarchy. And Jesus lived his life this way. When he came, remember the story? He sat and talked to a Samaritan woman. <laughs> they don't talk to women back then, and they definitely don't talk to Samaritans. Jesus broke down that wall. 
He broke down the wall when he touched the lepers. That was a wall you didn't cross. That was a wall that they had set up. You know, but he went and broke down that wall, touched, um, touched the leprous people. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He welcomed and blessed children. You know, walls that get put up, ah, children don't, they, they don't belong, they definitely don't belong running up back and forth in front of the church. And we can build walls of resentment, walls of things that he says, you know what? Jesus, he said to his disciples, listen, guys, let those kids come. Let's bless them. Let's make, you know, being, being with Jesus one of the best things in their life. Different in function, you know, all of us, but same in value. Never forget that. There's different gifts in the body. We need each other, but I'm no more important than you. He doesn't look at me and go, yeah, Mark's my favorite. Well, he does, but uh, he looks at you and says, uh, you know, Jamie, she's my favorite. You know, Harley's my favorite. Aaron, he's my favorite. Michelle's my favorite. Nettie's my favorite. Barry's my favorite. He's got a whole lot of favorites, and you're one of them. So he says this, he tore, down, he tore down those walls, but it said this, Jesus is our peace. Jesus didn't come to bring peace. He came when Jesus is there. He is peace. You know, when Peter was with Jesus walking through the storm, he just kept his eyes on Jesus, and he, there was peace as he's walking through that until he takes his eyes off, off of him. Same for us. There's this idea that as we keep our eyes on Jesus, there is peace. In a church, it's this idea of look at, um, you know, between people, look at Christ, not country. You know, when you look at Christ, not color. Look at Christ, not gender. Look at Christ, not age. Look at Christ, not wealth. Look at Christ, not, not any of the other things that we would try and dif- um, separate us. As a church, he's saying this is who we are because we are all in Christ. Seeing each other, he preached the same message to the Jews and the Gentiles. It was this, peace. Let there be peace. Uh, and it's that peace that he says is, is because of him. You know, when, you have, when you're following Jesus, it says you're living by his spirit. It says the gifts and the fruit of that is love, joy, and what? Peace. It says that's what happens. That's, that's a part of your life when Jesus is in it. So if Jesus is a part of a church, there should be peace in that place. This idea of all, all of us growing in that. And because of Jesus, we have a new father. So he, he talks about this family atmosphere that he's made us brothers and sisters. This, this thought of putting, putting uh, 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 this group and forming them somehow into a family. We both have access by one spirit. And the last thought is this. He wants to keep it that way. He tore down the walls already. He put this, all, he built one big family. And the last thing is he wants to keep it that way. Our job as a church is not to try and make that happen. It's not to try and find peace, you know, or make sure that we are at peace with, uh, find the, the kind of the lowest common denominator for unity with every church. Jesus has already created unity with every uh, church out there. And that's through uh, the simple thought of having relationship with Christ, being in Christ. Uh, and it says that those are the things that, you know, we shouldn't have division of denomination. We shouldn't have division of all of these, uh, you know, different, different um, things in churches. Shouldn't, we shouldn't have to have that. What, what happened there? We found that, you know, there was things we argued about and decided, ah, you know, we can't make it work. Let's go and, and start our own thing. He doesn't, he's, his desire isn't that we would have that. How do we you know, the last, last thought is this, that how do we stop ourselves from building walls, even if it's unintentional? Here, let, let me give you three walls that we sometimes build and we don't even know we're doing it. But it makes it hard for people on the outside to even find their way in. For them, they would have to come to Christ in spite of the stuff that we're doing. Number one is this, we take credit for what God has done. We take credit for what God has done in our own lives. God saved us by His grace. You know, there's nothing... Um, different between us and those who don't know Jesus Christ except for the fact that we've been rescued by Jesus Christ, that we've accepted a free gift that they could have as well. That's the part that's changed in us. Without him, 
there will be nothing good in me. That song is very true. Without you, I'm nothing. But with you, he said, what a, you're already blessed with every spiritual blessing in me. You've got all of this stuff. You're free and forgiven. But without you, I'd be in the same boat. I would have been in the same spot. You know, you look at that kid in your school who's, you know, they're the druggie. You know, that kid's got no hope or no future. I'm not going to bother talking to him. You know what? Jesus died for him. You know that girl at your work who flirts with everyone and you're like, oh, she's such a tramp. You know, I'm gonna like, stay away from her. Uh, you know, Jesus died for her. You know that person that you cross paths with, you know, like they're of a different race, a different color. You know, oh, you know, I don't know what is about them, but something makes me, my blood curl. Jesus died for them. Souls. You know, if there's anything um, that we do, it's this idea of, you know, we, we make it seem like we're better than others because of what Jesus has done. You know, sometimes people do that themselves. It's not that we do it all the time. When I was working, uh, I used to do wedding photography as well. And it was always interesting because during wedding photography, you meet different people and you'd sit at the table and, and I always loved to, you know, you're sitting at the table with people's family and after, after the wedding, you're sitting at the reception and I, and I would talk to people, you know, and ask some questions sometimes. And, you know, you ask them, hey, what'd you think of, you know, what'd you think of the service today? Oh, yeah, you know, it was this. And then, the, you know, I say, oh, what, about, what about the pastor? Oh, man, you know, I get all freaked out when I, you know, those guys walk by, you know. I think they, like, they can read my mind or something, you know. And it's like this thing of they're, like, build, start building these walls up. Like, I would never, would you ever talk to them? No, man, I'm so glad he's not at our table, they say. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if I should tell him, you know. Uh, but, but I don't, I'm just a photographer, right. But there's this thought of they're building up their own walls of they couldn't talk. They brought, there's something different about those guys. They're like holy men or whatever. But then I've also experienced on the other side where pastors have done it themselves. You know, I'd go to, go to a wedding and talk to the pastor before church. I'm like, hey, so, you know, where, where are you comfortable with us taking photos? And like, well, okay, you can see here, here, and here. But this place up here, don't even step there. No one gets to step on this platform unless they're a pastor. And that's where I'll be, but you're not allowed there. That's serious. And I'd be like, hmm, I wonder if I should show him my card. <laughs> but think about it. I would think about if I wasn't a believer... If I wasn't a believer, how difficult has it now become for me to, to realize and not look up to this person as this person who makes it sound, seem like they've got it all together. They're so special just because they have a job at a church. And, and, and now, you know, I'm going to have to climb that wall, this thing of, well, I've got to get a whole lot of stuff together if I would ever, ever be worthy. Just this wall that gets built. Said, you know, sometimes unintentional, sometimes it is. And the last two are this. The one is the myth of instant perfection. That we sometimes spread this idea that, you know, once we become followers of Christ, well, now we're instantly perfect. We wouldn't say it that way. But, you know, like, yeah, I accepted Christ and I, I never smoked again. You know, I never drank again. I, I got it all together. Sit in church and, like, make sure everybody thinks your life is just totally, totally uh, um, perfect. They wouldn't dare let somebody know that they're still struggling with things. Wouldn't dare let people know that they're not finished yet. You know, we're works in progress. If you see anything good in my life, that's him. If you see anything bad in my life, and you will, that's me. And he's not done with me yet. You know, that's the same thoughts for us as we realize that that helps us in this idea of realizing that, you know, we don't have to build walls about, well, those are the smokers, those are the, the drinkers, those are the people. And we don't build these walls of saying, hey, you know what? When you come to, to know Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. But next week, you got one week to stop smoking three weeks to move out from whoever you're living with, and six weeks before, you know, you can't be saying those words anymore, and uh, by week seven, you should have a suit, tie, and then you'll look the part, you can come here. If not, there's another church down the road for people like you, right? That, that's, this, that's this idea of, of how we, we portray things. You know, he says it's not, it's not church. 
That's not the walls that we're going to build, these dividing walls. There's works in progress. And the last is this, that we would maintain the unity of the church. That we don't have to try and create unity. We would just simply maintain it. Jesus is our peace, and he brought that already. So many people have been hurt because of this thought. They've been hurt by what they see in church. That, you know, God can't be real if people treat each other like that. Well, God's not treating people like that. But it's this idea of, you know, oh, God can't be real. There's a story of this guy who lived on a, on a deserted island. He got marooned there, and he's there for um, uh, 15 years. And finally, he gets rescued. And as the boat pulls up to rescue him, the, uh, they, see, they see him, and he's there, and he's got three buildings. And they're like, well, what's this building? He's like, well, this is my house. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And what's that building? He's like, oh, that's my church. And like, oh, cool. And what's the third building? Well, that's the church I used to go to. You know, uh, there's... There's this thought that happens in us that sometimes you're going to be in different places in your life. Maybe you come from other places, and this, I just build up, oh, that's what happened in that church. There is, yeah. This Kingsway is perfect, but uh, don't, don't allow that because we're on the same team. There's this idea of, you know, we might be different in function, we might be different in focus, but we are on the same mission to reach the world who needs the living uh, hope of Jesus Christ. And those walls just kind of get built up in our lives that way. And he says, there's no division in Jesus Christ. It's just not there. So if you feel it in your heart today, he wants to deal with that in you. He wants to deal with that in you. This morning, Paul said it to this. He says, remember where you used to be? You used to be in that place. So don't look down on others because without Jesus, you'd be right there in that same spot. And then he says to this, there's that, that peace that's been paid for. That, that separation's been taken care of. And he ends this, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God. He, this is the whole mission, is to reconcile people to God. You know, there's, and, and, and as all of us are in different areas in our life, growing together towards that, he says it was the means of his death on the cross. Our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him. He brought the good news of peace to the Jews who are near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. Ha <laughs> ha. I want to encourage you as a church. You guys are great at this. You are great at this in that collective role. But our, our, our thoughts and our job is to build you as people because you are the church. Wherever you go, you are the church. You're the church at school. You're the church at a gas station. You're the church at work. And, and the things that said, the walls, he's not caring about the ones that we build here. He cares about the ones that get built here. The walls that bring separation. So today, as you hear that, you think, oh, God, that might be me. As we sang that song, Search My Heart. God, search my heart. Reveal those things in me. And, and as we keep going through Ephesians, I'm telling you, the key is in that. Once you know who you are in Christ, you don't have to compare with anybody else. You're not threatened by anybody else because you know who you are. So I encourage you that, you know, that as we continue to pray, God, let our eyes be open to see who we are in you. Allowing the word of Ephesians to get into your heart and grow. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for this morning. Thanks for your word and that it matters. Thank you that, uh, yeah, there was other churches that went through stuff that you uh, spoke to and that still matters today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would search our hearts this morning. There's things in us that are uh, contrary to the mission that you have for us as individuals and as the church. Lord, I pray that you just uh, begin to deal with those in us. Replace those thoughts with yours. Uh, help us to, to look to you, Jesus, and not to, um, not to ourselves or to other people to compare. Uh, and I pray uh, that as we leave this place, that we go bringing a message of hope and life to, to each and every person that we, come, uh, or that we cross paths with. Uh, God, I pray for your joy, your peace, and your love to flood every home and every heart uh, as we do life with you this week. Thank you for that opportunity to do that. Thank you for your amazing grace, your amazing love. 
Um, today, may we put a smile on your face as we continue to live for you. In your name I pray. Amen.